All right, if you take your Bibles with me, turn to the book of Esther, the book of Esther, chapter 1, to start this, this afternoon. Esther, chapter number 1. It's a great privilege to preach this afternoon. And uh, over the last few uh, afternoon services, apart from last week and a guest speaker, uh, Pastor Holland has been walking us through a series that's called When God Works. When God Works. And we've seen that God is working at all different types, times of the day and night. Even when we're sleeping or when we're waking, at the twilight, at the midnight, God is working. And so uh, this week, I'm going to try to kind of jump into his series a little bit. But as you can see on the screens, we're not going to look so much at when God works this afternoon as maybe how God works, all right? How God works. So uh, what I'd like to do is we'll pray this afternoon, and then we'll get into the book of Esther and our sermon together. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the chance we have now to open up your word. Thank you for how it challenges us, and thank you that you're a God who's working, Lord. At all different types of the day and in all different types of ways, we see that your hand is working in our lives. And pray you'd help us now in these next few moments, Lord, to focus. Would you help me to be clear as I communicate your word? Would you speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. This afternoon, I'm going to try to attempt something. I'm going to try to cover the entire book of Esther. I got 30 minutes or so, maybe a little less. This is a daunting task. Now, no doubt with most of you, many of you, probably almost all of you, I could get right into my application of the message. You would know where I'm going. You've grown up in church. You've been in church enough. You know the story of Esther. However, this is our afternoon service. This is our family service. And I think apart from maybe in your home, there's no better place for the boys and girls, the children, the families of this church to hear about the scripture stories, the Old Testament narrative stories, than in church. And so I don't want to assume that you know a story you don't. I don't want to build upon a foundation that has not been laid. And so here's what I want you to do. If you don't know the story of Esther, or perhaps you know it a little bit, but you're a little fuzzy in the details, put your seatbelts on, all right? Because we're, we're going through it. And if you know the story of Esther, what I want to ask you to do is not to turn your brain off for the next 10 minutes. All right, can you do that? Perhaps sometimes we can uh, think, oh, he's going to preach about Esther. I know all about Esther. I've learned about Esther since I was a little kid. And maybe we immediately in that decision shut off whatever God wants to teach us. And so if you don't know Esther, strap in. We're excited. We're going to work through it. If you know Esther, uh, let's focus together and see what God has for us. In the beginning of the book of Esther, we are introduced to the king of the Persian Empire, King Ahasuerus. Judah, Israel's southern kingdom, has been conquered by the Babylonians. And the Babylonians were then conquered by Cyrus the Great of Persia. And so here we have the Persian captivity. Look at me, Esther, with me at Esther chapter 1 and verse 1. The Bible says this, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this is Ahasuerus which reigned from India, even unto Ethiopia, over a hundred and seventy and twenty provinces. That in those days, when the king Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the palace, in the third year of his reign, he made a feast unto all his princes and his servants. The power of Persia and Media, the nobles and princes of the provinces, being before him. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty many days, even a hundred and fourscore days. And when these days were expired, the king made a feast unto all the people that were present in Shushan, the palace, both great and small, seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. 
So here we have King Ahasuerus who throws a massive party to show off his strength, his power, and his riches. Six months long, they have a feast. It's quite the party. And after the six months feast, they have another smaller party for seven days for the inner circle, the people who were within the palace. Now, at this party, uh, probably some not-so-great things are going on. You can imagine what would go on at a six-month party and then a seven-day party following a six-month party. And King Ahasuerus is by no means a God-fearing king. He's a wicked king, and he has some pretty bad friends. We see at this feast that the king makes a pretty crude request of the queen. And the queen refuses to give in to the king's request. And so at the bad advice of some friends, we see the king has some friends who start to uh, kind of chirp up and say, Hey man, that's the queen, that's your wife, and she's not listening to you, she's not respecting you. What if all the other women in the kingdom and the Persian empire get word of the fact that your wife didn't listen to you, didn't honor your request? What an example is that going to set? You need to get rid of this queen. You need a new queen. And King Ahasuerus is like, that sounds like a good idea. Bad idea, but it sounds like a good idea. And so they come up with a plan how to get a new queen. And so the king is going to throw a beauty contest. This is the plan. He's going to invite all the most beautiful women from all over the Persian Empire to come and to compete. And whoever the king finds to be most beautiful will be the next queen. Now at this point in our story, we're introduced to two more very important characters in this narrative. At this time, when King Ahasuerus is reigning, the Israelites were given permission to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and eventually the city city walls. If you're in a small group, you remember probably not that long ago, we walked through the book of Nehemiah. And we see in Ezra and Nehemiah how the children of Israel head back to build the walls and to rebuild temple worship. However, some of these Jewish people had been living under Persian captivity for years and years and years. I mean, they had lives, they had jobs, they had established a life and a family. And so a group of the Jewish people chose to stay in Persia. One of these Persian men who stayed in captivity here in Persia did not go back to Jerusalem. His name is Mordecai. I want you to see with me Esther chapter 2, following along with the story. And look at verse number 5, Esther 2. Now in Shushan, the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity, which had been carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. So we see the Jewish man Mordecai, and we see that he's raising his cousin Esther. Esther, the Bible tells us right away, was a beautiful young woman whose parents had passed away. And so Mordecai, her cousin, takes her in to raise her as his own. Remember I mentioned that Esther is beautiful and the king is hosting a beauty contest? Seems like a pretty good fit. So, of course, Esther is entered into the beauty contest. I want you to notice what the Bible says in chapter 2 and verse 17. The Bible says this, And the king loved Esther. Above all the woman and she, women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So here we have this young Jewish girl, this orphan Jewish girl, has now been made the new queen of Persia. 
So we got King Ahasuerus, we got the Jewish man Mordecai, and we have now Queen Esther. One more very important character to introduce you to today. And this man's name is Haman. Haman is the king's right-hand man. He's second in command over the entire Persian Empire. He's a man of military power and success and pride. Notice what the Bible says in Esther chapter 3 and verse number 2 as we follow along. The Bible says, And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai, our Jewish friend, no, uh, but Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants which were in the king's gate said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass, when they spoke, spake unto him daily, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. All in the king's court would bow to Haman, the second in command, except for one, and that was Mordecai. This drove Haman crazy. And so, to get revenge on his enemies, he comes up with a plan. He's not only just going to get revenge on Mordecai himself, but he's going to come up with a plan that gets revenge on Mordecai's people, the Jewish people. Now, the Jewish people are God's chosen people, God's chosen nation of Israel. And so Haman goes to the king, the second of the command. He goes to the king. He says, hey, king, there's a group of people here within your empire who do not listen to your laws, that do not hearken to your rules. And he says, hey, I think we should have them destroyed. And Haman convinces the king to, sign, uh, to send out letters sealed with the royal ring that on the 13th day, did I get the right, of the 12th month? Or is it the yes, the 13th day of the 12th month, all the Jewish people can be destroyed. And so these letters go out to all of the empire that on the 13th day in the 12th month, everybody, and, and the Jews have been conquering for a long time previous to their captivity, so they had a whole lot of enemies. And no doubt all the enemies are like, finally we get the opportunity and the ability to exercise revenge on the Jewish people. I mean, people are looking forward to this. Word gets back to Mordecai about what's going to happen to his people. He, he, he's distraught. The Bible tells us he begins to rent his clothes in sackcloth and in ashes over the news. Esther hears about what's going on with Mordecai. She calls him in, and Mordecai's like, Esther, haven't you heard? Did you see the letters, the decree that the king has been made? Our people will be destroyed. And Mordecai speaks to Esther and gives her probably some of the most famous words in this book, and, and really some, some, more, some of the more famous words in the Old Testament. Look at, with me at Esther chapter 4. Look at verse number 13. The Bible says this, Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then thou shalt enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast for me and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther has commanded him. 
Mordecai's like, Esther, you got to do something about this. He's like, look, if you don't step up, God will surely deliver his people another way. But who's to say maybe God has you put in the exact place you are for a reason. Maybe you're there in the, in the kingdom, in the palace, maybe for such a time as this. And Esther says, Mordecai, you go fast. Tell all the Jewish people to fast. I'm going to fast, and I'm going to go in unto the king. Now, it's important for you to know this. At that time, with a king as powerful as Hazarus, you don't just walk into his throne room uninvited. In fact, if you walked in without an invitation and he chose not to extend his golden scepter towards you, you could be punished and even killed because you were not wanted in the presence of the king. And Esther's like, I'm going to go in uninvited. You better fast. We better hope that he wants to see me that day. Esther's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go in unto the king. We see Esther goes into the king. And the king is, is happy to see her. He extends his scepter towards her. The king says, Esther, what can I do for you? She says, king, I'd like to invite you and your right-hand man, Haman. I'd like to invite you to a banquet. And so, Haman's pretty excited about this, no doubt. A banquet, a private banquet with the king and the queen. So they come to the banquet, just the three of them. And we don't know exactly why. There's different opinions of this. But at that banquet, Esther says, hey, I'd like to invite you to another banquet. Like the three of us, we'll do the same thing we're doing right now. We'll do another banquet. Maybe she got stage fright. I don't know. We don't exactly know why, but he invites her to another, or she invites them to another banquet. And so, Haman is pretty pumped about this. Not one banquet, two banquets. But he's also growing increasingly angry with Mordecai, who refuses to bow. The Bible tells us that Haman goes and builds a gallows, a place on which to hang his enemy when the time comes. It's the night before this second banquet. Esther is preparing, no doubt, with fear to ask the king to save her people. And the Bible tells us that the king of Hazarus is laying in bed and he cannot sleep. He can't sleep. And so instead of counting sheep, he asks one of the uh, servants there to go and get the record books, the history books, and read it to him. It's probably pretty boring, and so maybe it'll put him to sleep, right? And so his servant goes and he gets the record books and he begins to read. And he begins to read a story about none other than Mordecai. The king hears for the first time a story about how the Jewish man Mordecai, while working for the king, had heard about a plot to assassinate the king. And how he had put an end to it and saved the king's life. I want you to look with me in Esther chapter 6 at what the Bible says. In verse 3, the Bible says, And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then saith the king's servant that ministered unto him, There is nothing done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman was come into the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servant said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, What shall be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now listen to this part, it's awesome. Haman thought in his heart, to whom would the king delight to do honor more than to myself? And Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delighteth to honor, let the royal apparel be brought, which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head. And let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with all whom the king delighteth to honor." And bring him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. How awesome is this? 
Haman, thinking the king wants to honor him, is planning his own parade, right? Some of you went to the Santa Claus parade last night in town, no doubt. Haman's like, we're going to put me on one of the king's horses, and the prince is going to march me right down Talbot Street. He's planning his own parade. Little does he know, he's planning a parade of honor for his enemy, Mordecai. How cool is that? And so, the next day, Haman and King Ahasuerus join Esther for this second banquet. Esther bravely and courageously asked the king to spare the lives of her and her people. Look at Esther chapter 7 and verse 3. Then Esther the queen answered and said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. But if we had been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, I'd held my tongue although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. Then the king of Hazarus answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he and where is he that durst presume in his heart to do so? And listen to this. Esther said, The adversary and the enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. Now we're going to summarize the rest of the story here. You guys have done very well staying with me. We'll summarize it. I'll give you the big rocks, okay? Here's what happens. Mordecai is honored for his service to the king. Haman is hung on the very gallows that he built for Mordecai. The king writes a new decree. You see, you couldn't change the decree that had already been written, so he writes a, a new decree and says, hey, on the 13th month of the 12th, or day of the 12th month, the Jewish people can now fight back. Well, even the scores a little bit. And God uses Esther to deliver her people, and gives the children of Israel a great victory on those days. God uses Esther to save her people. Okay, 30,000 foot bird's eye view of the book of Esther. Is your head spinning yet? It's an incredible story. That's good. Awesome. It's an incredible story. But what can we learn about how God works through the narrative story here in Esther? Now look, this is no way everything that we can take from this story. We don't have enough time for that, but here's just a few things that we can learn as we try to understand how God works. Number one in your outline, notice with me, God works behind the scenes. God works behind the scenes. One of the most incredible truths about the book of Esther is that God's name is not mentioned one time in the entire book. It's one of only two books in our entire Bible that do not mention the name of God specifically. You will not find it there. In our English Bible, you won't find the name of God. And so some have actually questioned in the past, you know, is Esther within the canon of Scripture? Now, Esther's a narrative story, and so we ought to be careful not to build an entire belief in theology off of Esther uh, because it doesn't speak to God specifically. However, in the story of Esther, we can see all kinds of principles that are taught specifically other places in Scripture. We can see them played out in evidence and made uh, Made, made flesh for our very eyes here in Esther. But this entire amazing story, not one mention to God. You say, well, what can we learn from that? Just because God's name is not mentioned doesn't mean we don't see God's hand all throughout this book. I can't imagine, can you imagine Esther and Mordecai many times saying, God, where are you? God, we don't see you in these circumstances. God, how could you allow this, the captivity of a wicked king? God, why would you allow me to be in the palace? What am I doing here? Mordecai saying, God, why would you not allow me to be honored for my service to the king? 
God, why would you allow a decree to be signed that your chosen people, the Jews, would be killed? God, where are you? What are you doing? I don't see it. And yet God is working behind the scenes. Esther grows up in a broken home, losing both her parents. No doubt she could say, God, where are you in this? Mordecai's got to raise his cousin. Like, God, I don't know what I'm doing here. God, where are you in this? But God is working behind the scenes. Here's one of the great lessons we can learn from the book of Esther. God in his sovereignty and his providence was quietly and carefully aligning every detail of Esther's life for her good and for God's glory. Every detail of her life for her good and for God's glory. And he doesn't just do that for Esther, he does that for us as well. God allowed a Jewish girl, an orphan, to have favor with a wicked king. He then puts her in a position to be a deliverer for his chosen people. Perhaps today you're feeling like God has neglected you. You're looking at the circumstances and the situations of your life like, God, I don't see you in this at all. My broken family, my past, my work situation, my housing situation, my financial, financial troubles, my relationship stuff. God, where are you in all of this? Be assured that God was working behind the scenes in Esther's life. And God is working, though behind the scenes, in your life. He's working every difficult detail of your life out for your good and for his glory. And that leads us to the second point. And it's similar, but I want to notice it specifically this afternoon. Number two, how does God work? God works in the little details. God works in the little details. I want you to notice with me all the coincidences, and I'm saying it like this, coincidences we see in the story of Esther. Esther happens to be raised by Mordecai, who works in the king's palace. Not any other family member, Mordecai. She happens to be beautiful. Imagine this, imagine Esther was just ugly. The story's over, <laughs> but she's not. And God knew that. And let me sidebar here for a second. We all want to be beautiful, right? But God didn't make Esther beautiful just for vanity's sake. God made her beautiful for a purpose and for a reason. And God made you the way you are for a purpose and a reason. He made you the way you look for a purpose and a reason. God used Esther's beauty in an incredible way. It's no coincidence that she was fair and that she was beautiful. How about this one? The king just happens to extend his scepter towards her. He happens to be in a good mood that day. I love this one. The king happens to not be able to sleep the night before the second banquet. And not only that, the king's servant happens to get the book of the records that happens to contain the story of Mordecai, and that happens to be the story that he reads to the king the night before the meeting. Do you guys see where I'm getting here? There's no coincidences. There's no mistakes. This is God working in the little details of Esther's life. I wonder how often do we overlook God's hand in our little details of our lives? The house you live in or maybe the house that you don't. The coworkers that you have and the neighbors that live beside you and the skills you've learned, the experiences God's allowed you to come from, the, the, the broken family or the great family you came from, the health trial you're walking through, the financial blessing or hardship that you're facing right now. These are not accidents. Accidents, these are not coincidences, sorry. These are all orchestrated by a loving God. I know that sometimes it's easier for us to look in hindsight, look back at our lives and see God's hand. And we have the privilege of being able to do that with the story of Esther. We can look start to finish and see how God's hand was working. But I want to encourage you today, do your very best to see God's hand in the little details of your life. It may be behind the scenes, but he's working. 
The last point I want to notice this afternoon will be done. God works through unlikely people. One of the great lessons we can learn from this book is just seeing who God chooses to use. I want you to notice three things with me quickly. Number one, God uses a wicked king. God uses a wicked king. Isn't it awesome that the same wicked king that decreed that the Jews would be killed, God uses to be the same wicked king to decree that the Jews would be saved? It reminds me of what the Bible says when it says, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And God can use the most wicked and terrible and tyrant of rules to exact and work his perfect will in this world because he's sovereign and he's in control. And that's encouraging to me today. No matter the state of the world, no matter the state of the country, I can look around and say, God, what are you doing? Where are you? God is in control. And he works out his will through a wicked king. Man, what an encouragement. Be faithful. Trust God. He's in control. Number two, God uses an orphan girl. Man, Esther is one of the most unlikely of heroines. I've mentioned this a few times, but it comes from a broken home. She's an orphan Jewish girl living in a Persian world, right? She's out of place. She's a fish out of water. But through fasting, courage, and simple obedience, God allows Esther to be a deliverer of a nation. Esther's a picture of Jesus. An Old Testament picture of what Jesus is going to do on the cross. That is amazing that God would use a little orphan girl named Esther. God can use a wicked king and an orphan girl. And if God can use them, number three, he wants to use you. Perhaps God's placed you at the job that you hate (laughs) or allowed you to live in the house that you're in and given you the struggles in your life all for a reason. Not by accident, but for a reason. Perhaps you've been placed exactly where you are for such a time as this. Maybe there's a coworker or a neighbor who needs you to share the gospel with them. In fact, I'm positive there is. Maybe there's a, a, a member in this church who needs you to show them the love of Christ. Somebody in our community, in your family, who needs you to be in exactly the situation you're in right now. Maybe there's somebody who you can encourage, someone who's struggling, and God has you in the place and the position at the time that you are in, not by accident, but for a reason. God has a purpose for you just like he had a purpose for Esther. So I want to encourage you, number one, be sensitive to God's opportunities. Pray and fast. Say, God, why do you have me here? What is it that you want me to do? Be sensitive to God's opportunities. Number two, be courageous. Man, Esther was willing to risk her life. She said, if I perish, I perish. She stood up in obedience to God. And that's number three, be obedient. Do today what God is calling you to do. A couple of years ago, Loma and I had the great privilege of uh, purchasing our first home where we still live. I've talked about it before in other sermons. We love our house. We're thankful for it. And we purchased our house in October 2019, but it was a quick possession townhouse, which means we didn't get possession of the house till May of 2020. So we knew where our house was going to be. We could see the lot. We could see it, but it wasn't finished yet. And so quickly, one of our favorite date nights became driving over to the lot where our house would be. You want to go for a drive? Sure, we'll drive by the house. And about every day, basically, we'd drive by to see the progress that had been made on the house. 
It was cool. You got to see the footings and foundations and then very quickly the framing. And it's awesome to see. I mean, progress is going. We're taking pictures. We got photos of us uh, probably illegally sneaking in and taking photos of the framing and all kinds of stuff, right? It was awesome. But as the construction goes along, I mean, they get the windows in, you got a roof in, the whole thing's tie-vacked, and then you get that front door, and next thing you know, it's all sealed up. You add on top of that, now we're in the heat of the very first lockdown of COVID. I mean, no stepping on the job site is allowed. And very quickly, we went from all this visible, evident, quick progress to months, or to weeks and months of no visible progress at all. And we're locked down. We're in stay-at-home orders, and so we have more time to drive by the house, right? (laughs) Nothing's going on. So we're driving by the house day after day, no change. Day after day, no change. Nothing. I mean, we're getting closer and closer to the delivery day, the day we're supposed to get the keys to the house. And small changes, I mean, you start to see, okay, brick and siding, that's exciting. But really, I mean, no change. Now, we know and we believe and we trust that on the inside, I mean, electrical's going in and plumbing's going in and and drywall's going on and they're painting and putting in flooring. We believe that. We hope that. But we don't see that. And perhaps you're at a stage in your life right now where you're looking at your circumstances and you just feel like that sealed house where like, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know how you're working. But day after day, it just looks like no progress, no change. I don't see your hand in these circumstances and these situations. God, I just don't see what you're doing. Can I assure you to have faith that God's working? It might be behind the scenes, but God is working. He's not abandoned you. He's not forsaken you. God is working in your life. So I leave you with these three things. Trust God. He's working out his perfect will in the details of your life for your good and for his glory. Number two, be encouraged. God can work through the darkest of situations and the worst of evil kings. And last, be willing. God had a great plan for Esther, and he's got a great plan for you too. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the story of Esther. And Lord, we've, we've just taken a glance at all there is in this book. But Lord, I believe there's some powerful lessons for us to learn today. God, in our wisdom and from our perspective, sometimes we don't see the way you're working in our lives. Sometimes we don't see your hand at work. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to have faith to see that you're working even if it's behind the scenes. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit, Lord. If there's someone here today who you have in a specific spot for a specific reason for such a time as this, may we be obedient, may we be courageous to follow you. And Lord, we'll thank you for what you're going to do and how you're going to speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.